0: Hello, dreamers, embracers, and next-level uppers. I am Brooke Warner. Hello, and hi, Grant, my trusted co-host on this journey of a podcast where we cover mostly writing inspiration, but occasionally publishing inspiration, as we're going to do in this week's episode. And honestly, Grant, it's not super easy to find publishing inspiration outside of those authors who've walked it and have something to give us to aspire to. Uh, but a lot of those people are well known authors, you know, and their stories are those of getting the red carpet treatment or a variation of that. And it's the thing that every author wants, of course, um, in addition to an advance and amazing publicity and sales. But the reality is that the vast majority of authors don't get that kind of treatment. And then I see two kinds of authors out there, uh, you know, who have pretty different reactions when it comes to their publishing dreams not coming true. It's those who give up, you know, and are frustrated and, you know, kind of let that impact their whole dream or journey. And then there are those who embrace a new dream. And so today's guest, Bella Mahia Carter, is definitely the latter. Um, I know Bella really well. We've worked together for years, and she's a two-time She Writes Press author. And I wanted to bring her on the podcast specifically because she has a fabulous new book out called Where Do You Hang Your Hammock?, And it's written 100% with those authors in mind who are struggling with the notion of author platform and how to market themselves. And what if I'm not famous enough to land a book deal. And it's an important offering, because you know, her competition in this space is really about selling the dream of publishing more than the reality of publishing. And all these kinds of dreams, like the reality of publishing can be have be a dream worth having, too. It's just a more grounded dream. Um, So I see this book that she's written as a counter narrative, which is that you're in control of your perspective on your publishing journey. And you can make the most of it regardless of your publishing path. And I think that's a message that a lot of writers desperately need.
1: Yeah. And one that they can't think about enough because you're going to have to constantly revisit that question, I think, and ground yourself, as you said. And, you know, publishing is just such a journey, you know, the writing part, the editing part, the publishing part, and the promotion part, and then there are other parts as well. And I always actually want to be careful to not be selling a dream because so many people project things onto publishing a book that are often not true, such as that if you publish a book, you make a lot of money. I've had so many people just assume that I'm making tons of money. Uh, I'm not. Most books, and I'm I'm talking literally 99% of books don't make much money. Um, I haven't done the math on my writing career, but I know I'm lucky if I'm earning minimum wage. And, <laughs> and that applies to most published authors. So to answer your question, yes, writers need to figure out a way to be at peace with their writing or publishing success, uh, to not beat themselves up, to not compare themselves to others. And on some level, I think to do it for the gift of expression, connection, and finding meaning in the world rather than any notions of fame and fortune.
0: Oh my gosh, it's so true and and important for the long game. Um, you know, Bella is going to share with us today her inspiration for this book and its title, but I can say now that it has everything to do with perspective. You know, I mentioned that I've been working with Bella a long time, and when she first came to me, I was actually still working at Seal Press, and she had these aspirations of traditional publishing. And I have a really interesting perspective too on just different kinds of authors, of course, because I work with so many types of authors. And of course, many, many, many people who end up at She Writes have already gone through a long journey in the traditional publishing world, where they've had bites, and they've had interest, and maybe an agent has even asked them to make changes in their manuscript. There's so many stories like this. And then at some point, it ends up that either they don't get the offer that they had hoped that they were going to get, or they've been shopping for years, and it's not going to happen. And so because I am privy to so many of those kinds of stories, I see, as I said, different kinds of authors, right? And the ones that end up with me are oftentimes the ones like Bella who have transformed their perspectives and embraced it. And then I see how empowering that is. Uh, You know, I I talk in my TEDx talk about this line that you have to let go of one dream in order to make room for a new dream. And I believe that so strongly. I mean, that was also my own story, right? That I had to let go of the dream that I had about work In traditional publishing and what I thought that meant. And when I shifted my perspective and started to see what was happening in the world of non traditional and indie publishing, it was actually more exciting. And when I fully embraced it, that became my new dream. And so to see someone like Bella, and there are many authors that I get the privilege to work with, you know, who really do embrace that. And then they make their own publishing success. As you said, you know, it's not only about the numbers. And that's a a really beautiful thing to witness.
1: Yeah, so true. Perspective is indeed what it's all about. And I was talking with a a friend recently who told me she wanted to be a famous author. She was laser focused on it, as if that was the end goal of it all, as if she'd only be happy then. And I understand that because I've certainly had a similar dream. But now I've experienced maybe a small droplet of fame, and that small droplet, you know, doesn't persuade me that larger droplets or a pool of droplets of actual fame are going to deliver any more happiness. You know, I told my friend that each individual message I've received about my book, you know, whether from a stranger on Twitter or an old friend has been the most deeply gratifying part of this whole publishing process. You know, it's, it's a small miracle to connect with someone in a meaningful way and to create a dialogue. So it's the pleasure of writing and creating that's the joy in the end for me, not the, the fame or the money. I can't imagine that that truly delivers.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how we as a culture are about fame. It's so clear that it's not all that great. <laughs> you yeah. know, and it's also very fleeting. And it changes people. Uh, you know, that said, of course, we crave being seen and being recognized. And that is a one central reason why book publishing has undying appeal to people. You know, there's all Always this possibility of reaching people. I mean, that should happen and will happen if you publish no matter what, but reaching people in a big way is kind of like rolling the dice, you know, this idea that your book will be the one that breaks out and becomes, you know, a bestseller. And, you know, I know we both work with writers all day, Grant, but um, I, I think it's because I get with them a little later in the process that I talk with them a lot about their publishing expectations. You know, I was just saying, sometimes these people come to me and it's like, they've already been through the ringer. Even so, it's amazing to me, the optimism that people come with, you know, even if they've been rejected by traditional publishers, you know, still, people will say, I'm going to be, you know, a breakout book on your list, I'm going to sell 10,000 books, you know, I get a lot of those kinds of people too, which I certainly appreciate, you know, I never want to dampen anyone's ambitions about their book. But just because they've been successful in other sectors, you know, like we have a lot of entrepreneurs and uh, business people, sometimes lawyers, and they think, you know, I've been able to make my own success. And that is not totally how the book industry works. Um, You know, the key to success in book publishing is one quarter, the story, you know, or the book that you've written has to be really good. One quarter, the author. So yes, the author and their push and their motivation and desire certainly is a component. One quarter is the publicity dollars that goes behind the book. And then whether or not that publicity sticks. And then one quarter is magic, you know, and that is just the way it is. And because that last ingredient is so totally uncontrollable, publishers and authors keep at it, you know, trying for that perfect formula. But what makes certain books rise above the rest is oftentimes just that a little bit of magic.
1: Yeah, based on your math, Brooke. I love that math, by the way. The author is only in control of about 50% of the equation, the story and then the author's mindset or attitude or energy um, to take that story forward and and those are great areas to focus on because I think that's where you'll find the most meaning. And I want to say I love your line that you mentioned earlier in your TED Talk about letting go of one dream in order to make room for a new dream because it's all about that you know we we, we tend to cling to that initial dream sometimes as if that's our whatever our, our standard of happiness but all of the mental exertion and focus on fame and fortune you know inevitably closes other doors so you're you're liberated when you stop caring about that it's like you shed baggage and open yourself to life and writing
0: mm, yeah absolutely and you know one of the things i know to be true at this point in my career is that our publishing journeys are what we make of them, you know, and that's the thing, if you can only control 50%, then at least let that 50% be the good part. And, you know, there's so many different ways to come to it, you know, that it is driven by you. And Bella is going to speak to this. Uh, she has a great interview in store for us, plenty inspiring. And so we will be back to hear more about that after this shortest of breaks. So, Grant, it's been a while since we have talked with our listeners about The Great Courses Plus, and that is because the people behind it have been busy totally revolutionizing their collection of programs, and they have launched a whole new streaming service called Wondrium, and it's pretty exciting. Have you checked it out yet?
1: Yeah, I have, Brooke, and you're right. It's a really improved interface uh, though with all the same quality experts and programs as before. And since they want us to do a deep dive um, to truly recommend this service, something I take great pleasure in, I took the time to watch a few episodes, including uh, two about the life and work of Jack London, who I have been interested in for a long time since I first became a writer. And then... Very um, special to me. I returned to the guitar class I was taking with Great Courses Plus because I haven't quite mastered that yet.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear you were able to pick that back up. Uh, and I chose to look at how to raise lifelong learners. I wanted to get some ideas for James. You know, he is um, not quite a Teen. He's a tween, but I was drawn to this episode called Teens When Teens Love to Learn. Uh, I, I think maybe I'm a little bit nervous that as he goes into high school, he's going to start to be resistant to academics, which was actually something I experienced with my stepsons.
1: Oh, interesting. Well, I hope not. Me too. Well, there's definitely something for everyone from the very geekiest of programming to the super specific. Uh, They even have a program called English Grammar Boot Camp, which I'm looking forward to like I would a vacation to the Caribbean, believe it or not.
0: (laughs) And I can't think of a single writer who I wouldn't recommend that program to.
1: Yeah, the best thing about Wondrium being back with their new platform and their new look is that I'm learning on my dog walks again. And this is serious because I spend an hour a day walking Buster, which adds up to a lot of class time each year. And I want to be able to say I'm 300 hours smarter this year.
0: <laughs> and that is a good goal. And I know a lot of our listeners took advantage of the pandemic to read and follow their intellectual pursuits. But for me, it's been kind of the opposite. I've used it to catch up on a lot of TV, and I have not been as rigorous and engaged as I'd like to be. So I am very into Wondry. I'm coming back into my life. Uh, and Grant, what's the rundown for listeners?
1: Here's the rundown. Wondrium's curated library makes lifelong learning fun. Their engaging videos are full of mind-blowing content covering every topic you've ever wondered about. So dive into documentaries, travelogues, tutorials, and so much more.
0: That is fabulous. And as I said, English grammar, come on, folks, there is so much more uh, also like on the writing front from revising the novel to the art of storytelling to how to sell your work. Uh, And it probably goes without saying, Grant, that the best part of all of this is that we have a special URL to get our listeners started with a free trial of unlimited access. And so I'm going to have you do the honors.
1: I love special URLs. I know. (laughs) But I also it makes me feel (laughs) special. But I also want to say that part again. Unlimited. So to get this offer, sign up now through our special URL, wondrium.com backslash right minded. That's W O N D R I U M, that spells wondrium, dot com slash right minded.
0: Wondrium is 100% my favorite streaming service. And so get out there and learn about whatever you want, whenever you want. Just go to wondrium.com slash right Welcome back, everyone. It is my great privilege to introduce Bella Mahia Carter, an author, writing teacher, coach, and speaker who believes in the power of writing to heal and transform lives. She views publishing and book promotion as opportunities to deepen self-awareness, nourish meaningful connections, and delight in peak experiences while being of service. Her new book is Where Do You Hang Your Hammock? Finding Peace of Mind While You Write, Publish, and Promote Your Book. Ella, what a pleasure. This is long overdue, and I'm very thrilled that you're on the show with us today.
2: Oh, thanks for having me, Brooke. I'm really happy to be here.
0: I want to start by asking you to share the story that's in the intro of your book that explains why the book is called Where Do You Hang Your Hammock so that listeners out there can understand what a hammock has to do with your message that your publishing journey is really about the perspective you bring to it.
2: Yes, I'd love to share that. About 10 years ago, my husband and my daughter got me a fabulous Mother's Day gift. It was a hammock. And I loved it, but I didn't know where to put it. I host literary salons in the backyard, so I didn't want to put it there. And and then I remembered we had this shed on the side of the house. And it was supposed to be a tool shed, but it really had turned into a junk shed. So we decided to clear out the shed, demolish it, and set up the hammock on the side of the house. And it was great. I spent many hours happily reading and dozing in my hammock under a beautiful canopy of leaves that was from a tree that was planted on my neighbor's yard, but there was a hole in the fence through which the limb of the tree extended. And it was just great until one day it wasn't. One day I went out into my hammock and I noticed that something was different. And my neighbor had cut that tree limb so I had no shade. My shade was completely gone. And I got in my hammock and I was really, really bummed about it. I was broiling. I tried covering myself with a sheet. My husband came up with all kinds of great ideas of what we could do. We could plant something. And I said, oh, no, it'll take too long for, for anything to grow tall enough to provide the shade that I need and on and on. And so for two months, I didn't use my hammock. It was the whole summer and I didn't use my hammock. And, and I was really bummed. And then one day at the end of the summer... I really, really needed to be outside. I really needed my hammock. And I went outside and I tore down a rotting redwood trellis and I dragged my hammock just a few feet away. I sunk down into my hammock. I looked up at the sky and I thought, whoa, why hadn't I done this sooner? And what I realized was I hadn't done it sooner because I thought that the hammock had to be in a certain place. It had to look a certain way. And when that was when that wasn't happening, I didn't know what to do. I, it was like I was stuck. I couldn't imagine another way to proceed. And what this has to do with writing is that when I was shopping the proposal for my memoir Raw: My Journey from Anxiety to Joy, agents wanted me to be a raw food. They they said build your platform as a raw food expert. And even though my book had a component of raw food in it, it really was so much larger than that. It wasn't about that. And I I felt like I had a choice. I could either show up in a way that didn't feel authentic, or I could just find another way. So I could basically just move my hammock. I I had to change my perspective in order to move forward with the opportunities that were in front of me.
1: I love that metaphor of the hammock. Uh, especially since I'm a, a long-time hammock owner who hasn't hung the hammock. <laughs> uh, it's been sitting in my shed for 20 years or so, so I'm going to go home and think about it. But, um, Bella, this is the final week of NaNoWriMo, and uh, so many writers have been, you know, they've plunged into their rough drafts, and yet at the same time, I think a lot of people maybe get a l- little ahead of themselves and they start thinking about the whole publishing process, the whole outcome of everything. And so I'm curious what advice uh, you might offer to authors who are maybe sacrificing the writing experience for publishing and promotion angst.
2: Yeah, I mean, don't put the cart before the horse. Be in the moment, be in the writing experience and take it slowly. And just be be present with where you are now, because the, if we can do that, then the rest of it will just unfold naturally as it's meant to. But we do tend to want to move very quickly. And I'm constantly reminding myself and my students and my clients, slow down, take your time, be present. Yeah. And would you extend that into the revision process? Because I think it's
0: like it's for so many people the writing process gets extended you know and we're we're sort of in the midst of this nano thing which is about sprints and getting the word on the page and i know a lot of people get kind of bored with their process or start to get itchy about publishing and and so much of your book is about making your way through these processes
2: Yes, I, I say slow down at every stage. So absolutely slow down in the revision stage and just take your time and be where you are and just let it unfold as it will and trust that it will unfold as it's meant to.
1: That's so nice because I think people, I've I've even myself I felt like I rushed through, you know, a draft or a revision, you know, with, with the goal of publishing.
2: Yeah, I mean, think about the ways in which you maybe rush through your day. So if we're living at this really fast pace, we're 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 living more at the speed of thought than we are at the speed of our lives because we have this, you know, our minds move very quickly. Well
0: said. Well, and and your memoir which you mentioned Raw was about your journey with anxiety and it is a, it's a healing journey above all else, but you're also no stranger to anxiety. Um you're a coach and an author And you have had to do a lot of promoting and staying engaged in the world as an author. And for a lot of people, that exacerbates anxiety. So can you talk about your evolving relationship with book publishing um, and promotion specifically and how you learn to find more ease and joy in this process that is understandably so fraught for people?
2: Yes, I love that question. What I've learned about promotion is that it's actually it's not about me it's about the people that I'm here to serve. And it's about connecting with like-minded people and having conversations about things that are important that matter to me and that matter to other people. So when I think of promotion in terms of showing up and connecting and finding like-minded souls to have conversations with, it, it becomes an honor and a privilege and it becomes something that is much larger than I am. And again, it's not about me. It's about what I'm here to to have conversations about.
1: Well speaking of conversations, one big part of NanaRimo is actually the community aspect and how how it really um, empowers people, I guess, and, and, and nourishes them to, to almost, you know, essentially collaborate on each other's novels. And, and Brooke tells me that you're an amazing collaborator and that that is one of your superpowers. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, if you come by that naturally, or is there some foundational story you can tell that explains why you love to collaborate? And, and also what do you think authors can get out of the experience of collaboration? Because so often writing is thought of as a kind of purely solitary act.
2: Oh, that's a great question. You know, when I think about collaborating, I just think about learning. And I, I think at the end of the day, I just love to learn. And I, I, I think of myself as a disciple. And the root of the word disciple is, is one who learns. So I think that when we collaborate, we learn from each other, and we give and we take and we grow.
0: And have you always been a deep collaborator? I mean, since the, since the beginning of your creative processes?
2: Well, you know, that's funny because when I was a stu- I was a dancer many, many years ago. I studied at Juilliard, and I remember wanting to do a piece of choreography that included a dancer. Uh, that it, it was a dancer, a cellist, and an actor. And rather than having the cellist accompany the dancer, I actually had the cellist on the stage, and I had the actor on the stage reading a love poem, El Hijo, by Pablo Neruda, And what I was interested in, what would happen when all of these artists got together and had a conversation rather than having one merely accompanying another. So I guess, yeah, I've been interested in collaborating for a long time. Well, the subtitle
0: of Where Do You Hang Your Hammock is Finding Peace of Mind While You Write, Publish, and Promote Your Book. And that peace of mind is something that I've personally seen you cultivate over the many years I've known you, and oftentimes quite deliberately. And so I'd like you to talk a bit more about what was important to you in writing a book that would help fellow authors find this peace of mind, and also maybe just tell a bit of the story that I know so well, which is, you know, with your big dreams and aspirations to traditionally publish and kind of reframing what publishing was going to do for you. And then not only reframing it, but like I'm saying, doing it with peace of mind, you know, which is just not an easy thing to get to.
2: I love that question. So what I thought publishing was going to do for me, and now this was not conscious, but what I thought publishing was going to do for me was make everything okay. I thought if I had a traditional publishing deal, I'd be safe, I'd be validated, um, that, that somehow all of the scariness in my life, all of my fears and insecurities would vanish. And I, when, I, when I say that now, I just have to laugh because it's just a lie. It's just not the truth. Our peace of mind comes from our presence of mind and our relationship to our thinking. For years and years and years, I was completely hijacked by insecure thought. I believe that we all have both insecure thought and we have wisdom, deep wisdom, and we're resilient and strong. But what happens is we we we, we identify with the insecure thought and we think that's who we are. And it hijacks us, and so for years and years, I just thought, "I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough." And then, then, I, and then there was behavior that would just reinforce that thinking. But once I realized that that was just insecure thought, I have a chapter in my book called "Universal Doubt," and it talks about this kind of thinking. It's not personal; we all have it. But when you when you don't realize that, when you think that this voice in your head that's constantly chattering and telling you, saying things like, "I'm not good enough," who cares what I have to say? It, go, it goes on and on and on. And when you're identified with that thought, when you think that thought is who you are, then it's completely debilitating and you believe it. And so you're you're stuck and you can't move. And I had so much of that thinking for so long. And I thought, well, if I could just get a traditional publishing deal, that would, you know, it would prove to me that I am enough. But what I've discovered is that being enough, that is, that is an inside job. And that is a matter of understanding that we are all enough. I mean, who is not enough? That is ridiculous. So it's been quite a journey in that regard to understand that I am not my thinking.
1: I think that's really key. Um, I love, or I'm very fascinated by that phrase, how insecure thought, you know, hijacks our thinking. And I think that that's what happens actually to a lot of people. At this stage of NaNoWriMo, you know, we're heading in to the finale and especially in the middle, I think a lot of people hit, hit a wall and they really start to doubt themselves and they let those doubts, you know, hijack their thoughts. So I'm curious, what, what writing advice can, can you give these people um, at this point so they'll keep pushing through? What's the biggest lesson you learned in, in the writing of your three books?
2: You know, if you want to do it, just do it. The National Science Foundation s- had recently said that that every person has between 12 and 70,000 thoughts per day. 95% of those thoughts are repetitive and 80% are negative. Huh. So what are we going to do about that, right? We, it's up to us to cultivate a, a relationship with that kind of repetitive negative thinking and just know it's there. Know that it's part of the human condition. We all have it, but we don't have to believe it. So, I would say that if you went through Nanorimo and you actually you know you you did that and you got the words on the page, that's because something deep inside of you needed to do that. And honoring that call, there's nothing better than that it's it's um it's a way of saying yes to your life experience and you know where it lands in terms of publishing and and whatever happens later. That will all take care of itself if you're willing to just show up and say, yes, I'm doing this because I'm called to do this. And there's no, you know, you don't have to you don't have to seek your validation from any of this. I mean, you you're valid. We're all valid. I mean, the word invalid is invalid that, you know, and human beings are not invalid. We are all valid. And if you are drawn and called to write, then you must write.
0: I love that, Bella, so much. And we're so aligned. I mean, all three of us, of course, in, in that sentiment. And it just makes me think of the, the the saying yes to yourself, you know, which is just so foundational to m- my work and w- why I started She Writes Press in the first place. Um, and so I just wanted to say that, you know, because you're a writing coach, and because you help authors, I mean, one of the things that I've been that I've loved to watch about the trajectory of your journey is the way in which you you reach out to those authors that you see, are struggling with some of the same anxieties that you had early in your process, and I'm guessing it—it's not like you just solved it, right? I mean, no, like you—you you still must sometimes face those anxieties and negative thoughts.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. It's a—it's a practice. I mean, I, um, yeah. I mean, I don't remember. It was, re- yeah. I guess it was last Saturday. I gave a talk, and it was—it was the worst version of the talk that I've given yet and i mean every at sort of at every corner i was just fumbling and when i was done with the talk i just felt just terrible i felt like oh my god that was just a mess and but i had this teacher who used to say that when you, when you're in a state of distress that means that school is in session that's your time for learning and what i realized when i was in that state of distress which was last saturday I realized like, oh, I was looking to hit that out of the ballpark because of that that talk. I wanted that talk to be great because I wanted everyone to know how great I was and because my ego just wanted some stroking. And then I realized, wait a minute, you know what? You showed up. You shared what you shared. It wasn't perfect. But you know what? That's how it is. That's life.
0: So true. I love that, the idea of it being a practice because it's just very permission giving and very kind. Um, so in closing, Bella, what would you tell your young, ambitious writing self today with the, <laughs> with the benefit of all this hindsight and writing and publishing experience under your belt?
2: Oh, oh, my God, I would say relax. You're fine the way you are. Follow your bliss and just don't worry about it, you know, and don't look to your career to give you what you already have which is a beautiful life awesome
0: beautiful words to end on thanks bella
1: thanks so much bella
0: thank you brooke
2: thanks grant
1: we will be right back with today's book trend
0: So today's book trend is something we're calling Now What? Because now what is a question that anyone who finishes a draft is going to ask themselves once the draft is complete. And so for all of you doing NaNoWriMo as it's winding down and you're saying to yourself, now what? We have some answers for you. And that is what we're focusing on in today's book trend. So Grant, you guys have an initiative at NaNoWriMo uh, in January and February that is called I wrote a novel, now what? (laughs) So could you tell us a little bit about it? (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's named that because we literally hear that from thousands of people after they've completed NaNoWriMo. They've got this big, somewhat messy or outright messy draft. And, you know, how do they take it to the next level or levels uh, in terms of revision and and prepare it for publishing, and how do they even know how to publish it? You know, the publishing world is is a very cryptic labyrinthian world, whether you self-publish or traditionally publish. So, yeah, we host this program starts in January. In the month of January, we really focus on revision and. To me, this is my favorite stage. I love going deeper into a novel by revising it. And then we go into in February more, we begin the exploration of the who, what, when, why, and how of publishing options. You know, we cover everything from how to query an agent to to how to, you know, get to know the nuts and bolts of publishing and self-publishing. But the part I like best, as I mentioned, it has to do with revision, which I was just thinking today is kind of the step between drafting and editing. And, you know, as I mentioned, many or novelists are very confused because revising is very different than drafting. So I'm curious what, if you hear similar things from memoirists after a first draft book.
0: Yeah, you know, what the thing, I think it's probably fairly similar. And the thing that I like about the idea of revision, you know, revision is the act of seeing again right? And Mm -hmm. so you have to see again, and see again, and see again, as many times as is necessary to shape a rough draft into something that is more meaningful. And in fact, I mean, I think this could sort of be part two of today's trend, which is just revision, you know, revision is in fact a trend. And if you're writing, you need to embrace that trend wholeheartedly, and not feel like your book only needs one revision. Uh, And so there's so much to say about revision, it could be a whole episode, but I think more than anything, I want to encourage people who have a draft to check out your initiative because I think it's going to be awesome.
1: I love how you paused over the word revision and uh, broke it down because I think it's important to to think of it like that. And I should note to listeners, Brooke, that, that you were one of our early experts when we first created our I Wrote a Novel Now What initiative. Uh, you presented a webcast. Uh, I think it was based on your book, Greenlight, your book, which was the perfect spirit for exploring, you know, publishing paths and processes. And uh, I th- when i was thinking about this today i thought you could have titled your book now what (laughs) but that (laughs) that that doesn't have the actionable force of green light so i want to say that our initiative is a little bit now what and a little bit green light uh which is always uh, at the heart of what we do we want always want to empower people to tell their story and put it into the world
0: absolutely and it's all about what's next i mean this also ties into what bella was talking about today being curious about the process being a learner being a disciple of the writing process which starts now with the writing and ends later with the revision 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 so get ready for now what save the date now that you have your novel in hand and uh on we go
1: yeah go to org, and in january we'll have uh, you can pledge to revise your novel that's when it all begins
0: And remember that Right Minded is a weekly podcast and you have made it almost through the month of November. There are a few more days next week and we're conscious of that. So keep going. I hope that we have been able to offer you some inspiration during this month and every month of all year long. uh, Download us, but also tell a friend. We really appreciate that. It helps us to keep going as we wind down uh, the end of this year and look forward into January and February and revising and everything that that holds for you. And we'll see you next week.